for Thursday, October 11th, 2018. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Look at that fucking squirrel with that big bird. That is not the right version for sure. <laughs> I feel I, I hate this application. Oh my god. I goodness. hate Jeremy you know not what? being here. You know what? I can't work under these conditions. These are conditions in, in which you cannot work. My writer has very st- specific stipulations about the music to be played at the start of every episode. Wow. Well, welcome to the show this week. And as you surely have guessed, uh, we have a different lineup. I'm Norm, of course, and joined to my immediate left, not Jeremy Williams, who's out. On vacation, it's Kishore Hari. I'm a pale imitation of Jeremy Williams. And I, I'm not Jeremy, I'm Will. <laughs> back on the podcast after quite a long hiatus, uh, the dubstepper, the master dubstepper. That, that's, Will, what Will people, that's what people say. They, they call me uh, Mr. Dubstep. Mr. They call Mist, me. First name Mr., last yeah. name Dubstep. Yeah, I'm Skrillex's long-lost uncle. So Kishore is running the audio this week, so uh, be warned. Some, some of our musical intros, you know what, I'll be fixing post. Let's just assume... Hey, Norm, in the future, congratulations, you're fixing the music. So I'm knocking on the table for the Adobe Premiere gods not to mute me for the entire podcast like they like yep, to do. Yep, yep, yep. When, 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 we, when I make a mistake on Still Untitled, you leave it in for comic value, I think. Oh, there is some comic value. But when Kishore makes a mistake over here, you're going to fix it. He just says he's going to fix that in post. He's not really going to fix it in post. We'll see. Sure. That's, that's the te- that, that will be the big question for you out there. We started this podcast three times. This four, is four the times. fourth. This is the, this is the fourth. fourth one after yeah. three failure to launches. Ooh, too soon. Oh, we'll t- get to that. topical. Too soon. We'll get to that. Um, sh- how are you guys doing? I'm awesome. How about you? I'm doing okay. I it's good I'm... to actually be back in San Francisco. Were you not in San? Oh, that's we were right. in New York we were... this weekend. <laughs> oh wow! This, I was. This with has you. been a long, long week, and we'll talk about all the events, everything that we've been doing as we jump into. Leap story as we leap into. This is almost right. That's not too bad. Top story this week. No, it's. I mean, it, I, I think your audio input just is missing the uh, vocal track. It's missing like one channel. Yeah, the channel I, for voices. We actually troubleshooted this with Jeremy, and he figured out what. He did. I can't remember what oh, it no. is. I know what it is. You need to downmix it to mono because what's happening uh, is the vocals on one track and the others on the other track. Maybe there. Will is smart. He deals in technology. I work. At, I'm a technologist. Anyway, we are top stories this week. The first thing we're talking about is a little bit of New York Comic Con. Kishore, you and I were both there in New York. That was merely days ago, less than one week ago, and yet it feels like months what? ago. But th- look, there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens in New York Comic Con. I'm sure. But what's the most important thing, or what was your what was your eating? Situation. The eating situation. Oh, we didn't talk about that on Still Untitled. The eating situation, well, a lot of convention food. I ate a lot, unfortunately, just because of the busyness of it all. Had a lot of convention food. A lot of hot dogs. We actually had Korean convention food, which was a new twist. Yeah. The bottom, the bottom floor of the Javits, Jacob Javits Center is pretty, pretty, pretty decent food. You want to shell out fifteen bucks for a bulgogi beef bowl? That's that's fine. That we'll do great. that. Uh, but for one of the evenings, Kishore, you, me, Joey, and uh, Kate were able to go to one of your favorite Korean restaurants in New York. It's an upscale Korean fair called Attaboy, 
A-T-O-B-O-Y, not to be confused with Attaboy, A-T-T-A-B-O-Y, which just serves cocktails, not oh. Korean food. Hmm. And I almost made that mistake. Yeah, that's, I mean, it wouldn't have been that bad. Yeah. You had recommended this uh, to us um, last time when I went with Danica for our, our baby moon, uh, and uh, it was delicious. It's a prefix menu kind of thing where you choose two items from each of the courses and then with four people we we're able to basically able to sample mm. the entire menu uh small plates so korean tapas my my favorite korean place in new york is a place called um kang ho dong bake jong okay which is a korean barbecue a, a butchering of the korean language yeah i did that badly i apologize um i'm hearing clicking sounds from somewhere i'm sure it's the, i'm sure okay. it's me it's yep. sure fault uh, but no, it's a Korean barbecue, and the chef there is the former meat chef from Momofuku. Oh. I think from Ko. And so the pork, you you get pork belly that you that you Korean barbecue, and it is mwah, delicious, and it's open until like 3 o'clock in the morning, which nice. is cool. It's by the Empire State Building. Nice. Oh, so like just on the edge of Koreatown. 20, it's it's in it's like 25th and, and 5th Ave or something like that. We also had some late night halal guys cart. Yeah. Yes, yes. All in the same evening. After we had basically good wrapped night. for most of our, our filming, we uh, got green food, walked around, found a delightful cocktail bar that was inspired by Oscar Wilde, where the uh, the bartender uh, for one of the drinks that you and Joey ordered did this thing, uh, took a, a piece of cinnamon, like a roll okay. of cinnamon, put it on a stick, burned it, yeah. and then put a, a glass above it so all the cinnamon smoke would be in the glass. Grant Crilly at Chef Steps did that for a cocktail that he made me when I was there. Right, and then and then all the smoke filled the glass, then put a funnel in there, poured the cocktail in there, shook it up, and then poured that back out, and then burned another piece of cinnamon to put in the cocktail. Very smoky. So when Grant did it, he burnt the stick and let it left it burning and then put the glass on top of it mm-hmm. so that the... the the, basically, the cinnamon fire burnt out all of the oxygen under the under the glass. Right, right. And then he made the drink and poured it in there, and you ended up with a really smoky cinnamon taste that was kind of a, completely unique in my experience. What yeah. was the drink? Was it a Winston? A it Churchill was an old breakfast? fashioned. Oh, okay, and so it was it was very unique, and it was just really on the the nose and not so much like infused throughout the entire mm-hmm. drink. So it was it was kind of perfect. I want to also give a big shout out to a lot of the people who uh, said hi to us. We had a lot of viewers and listeners of this podcast who came up to us uh, at New York Comic Con. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, we love meeting you in person. Uh, and one listener in particular got me tickets or invited me out to, uh, to a really cool thing, which was King Kong on Broadway. Ooh. It was the first night of previews. I want to give a uh, specific Did shout out. Did you get out. to go? I got to go. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Uh, Disney Dan at Disney Dan, who runs a um, a YouTube channel documenting uh, the clothing of uh, Disney characters uh, throughout the history of Disney theme parks, uh, runs the DisneyDan.com, um, sent me a message and had tickets, and his, I guess his family couldn't go. So this was opening of previews night. The, wow. The King Kong show on Broadway, if you hadn't heard of it, um, uh, is an import from Australia. Um, creature effects, creature effects technology company. I forget the exact the exact name of the company, uh, but they did the um, the dinosaur show where the puppeteers people inside the dinosaur costumes at the Walking with Dinosaurs show. Okay, and they had developed over the past ten years a twenty foot tall King Kong stage puppet to design a show around, uh, in which I believe a company of ten 
performers puppet King Kong in real time by jumping on his back and lifting wow. arms, and his face is controlled with uh, animatronics, um, just just high grade servos, uh, for which a puppeteer remotely in the balcony looks at King Kong and puppeteers wow. the face. Uh, and so they brought this show, I guess, did it, ran its course in Australia, brought it over to the United States, and they got a bunch of like famous poster artists. Like Ali Moss did a poster for this, uh, which is front and center and, and all the advertising. And I think it opens in like two or three months, I want to say, for, like, hmm. for, for opening night. But these are previews. Nothing broke. Um, technically, the show was incredible. And... Uh, it was really cool to see that giant puppet on stage. Sci-Fi Wired just did a big feature story about the puppet and how um, how they, they rehearse with it. How It's like, you know how you have like a Pinocchio-style puppet? You have uh, a crossbar that you hold. There's a technical marionette. Sure. Yeah, marionette. That you, yeah. Um, but with all the strings are attached to. So they essentially have that on these truss above the stage, but that bar itself is on like a two-axis system so it can there actually must be move around the stage a little a bit. A ton of people moving that around then. Yeah, 10 people in full black costume, like the fittest wow. dudes from Australia are literally on the, they climb the back of King Kong, there are these bars on him, and they will do things like lift his shoulders, lift his arms, or people underneath, and then they literally jump off while holding the puppeteering wire, and their weight as they jump off of King Kong onto the ground lifts up it's one like, of the arms. It's like a little Cirque du Soleil and a little bit. Um, does the puppet pick up the the girl? It does. Wow. Yep. yep. They're the full, fully interactive. You know, the, um, the the lead actress does full interactions. It, it's, it's based on just the book, so it's oh, not okay. based on the, so it the like Peter Jackson or anything like that. No, no, no. Okay. I mean, it's it's the King Kong, the friendship, right? So, um, I, I don't. I, mean, I think in terms of previews, they don't want people to like review the film or review the the musical, but. You know, it's a musical. There's there's songs and dance and all these numbers, but King Kong is really the thing. What a review, Doctor Zayas, Doctor Zayas. Yeah, I, I don't want. I don't want. That's a different I, one. It, they're they're working through it. They're working through the Broadway show. What, what's your favorite King Kong version, guys? I really, I I really like the Peter Jackson King Kong. I didn't. Uh, Peter Jackson one isn't for me. I'm old school. I like the old King Kong. I love the the kind of, you know real fair. I feel like that's a piece of Americana. It is, and, and you know, most recently there was, of course, the King Kong Skull Island, Kong Skull Island film, mm-hmm. um, which, which was great. I, I think it was delightful. Really? I really liked it. it. Yeah, it, it's it's not, not a traditional it. King Kong story. It's a war movie. It's a Vietnam War it's, movie. It's Apocalypse Now meets King Kong. That's exactly what it is. With yeah. a King Kong that is giant. Oddly, uh, that sounds great. It's it, it was it's very colorful. The cinematographer Larry Fong did Watchmen, so he had a lot of the the very pot, punchy colors. It's a period saturated piece. colors. It's yep. set in like post Vietnam. So you all the musical flair of of that era, and Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston kind of really hammered it up as like pulp heroes um, in, in that film. Yeah, it had a real romancing the stone vibe with like uh, Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that, of course, is going to uh, converge with the Godzilla franchise. This is kind of the legendary uh, studio's Godzilla thing. We're, we're getting too close into pop culture territory. So we're going to continue with uh, what other things happened. Any other notable things in New York we want to talk about? No, I think we covered it mostly and still entitled. Like, I was there really looking at, at the costumes. We talked a lot about the floor. I think there's going to be a lot of videos from, from the actual floor. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go to very many panels. Um, where a lot of the news broke, but I, I think you get it. It was fun. Yeah, oh, and we'll talk about some of that news in pop culture. Uh, the other big news, top story this week, is after getting back from New York, I immediately jumped on an airplane to head down to L.A. to go to LeapCon. 
Now I, I know there's the joke out there about leap leap, leap into con or, or or the leap con. You know, it's being being conned into no. into investing into into augmented reality. But it's the Magic Leap conference, the first first ever sold out. Fifteen hundred people went there, and two days where they uh, they kind of rolled out. The heads have been available for three months, but they rolled out the the software, what developers that they had partnered with and funded had been working on in these couple of years. Um, a wide-ranging number of applications from games, from folks like What a Workshop and Wingnut AR, to uh, Wayfair for furniture stuff, to travel, Air New Zealand, um, and uh, some in-house projects as well. Uh, but the biggest thing was uh, the big unveiling of the Dr. Garbork. Uh, Invaders game, the Weta Workshop, Weta Game Shop game, that was based on the uh, Greg Broadmoor art world that he created of Dr. Garbort's. And uh, the game's out now. Anyone who has a Magic Leap can get it for free. And it it is not worth paying $2,500 for, but I would, I want to play it again and again. Okay. I only played that 10 minutes, and it's an AR game, right? So you scan your room and then uh, portals open up on your walls. Some portals that look like you know, the size of manholes, and that bugs crawl out of. Oh, this was the this was the trailer from a couple of years ago that was kind of cooked a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. This is like that was their proof of concept, and this is what came out of it. Huh. And then the portals can be as big as a doorway, a little door where if you are eight feet from it, you can see the whole door, and you can kind of peer around. So there's parallax, and mm. your your hand uh, is a as a gun, and then you are firing into the other world. Did you try to walk into the walls to look? I went. The I went up close, and okay. you know the field of view is such that when you walk up close, it becomes vignetted, so you don't see the full door. So there's like an optimal distance oh, okay. you need to be from the door where you can, where if you're, they'll feel it'll fill up the field of view for the door. And I think in the later levels, people are saying because people have beat it already, like the whole your whole wall opens up. But it's just a shooting gallery. It's a shooting like, gallery. Okay. But How it's, long it's, did you? Did you get to play? For? I got to play for fifteen minutes, like ten. Oh, to 15 that's minutes. a decent amount of time. And you know, played one out of the four levels, um, but it, it felt like a real game. It was super polished. Hmm. Yeah. So, like compared to Robo Recall, uh, you know, Robo Recall uh, different, right? Because yeah. Robo Recall, but very much in the same like the, the same like feeling. Shooting you gallery. Get, like shooting gallery. Okay. Uh, very much. I, I would say maybe a little more like Space Pirate Trainer in terms of okay. the kind of fun you've had because it's full three sixty. You're kind of standing one spot, dodging as the robots enter your world. You know, it's really easy to kill them, but you can have fun by shooting off their limbs, and like you bring a lot to the game more than, uh, which is what I, I think is one of the okay. strengths of of AR. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about the announcements from LeapCon over uh, when we get to the VR minute. Um, but shall we move on to some pop culture news? Let's hold our ears. Yeah, I'm going to fix this in post. <laughs> it turns out that not having physical buttons for things like volume control might be a negative, huh? I don't know how Jeremy does it. <laughs> uh, so in terms of pop culture, a lot of movies out this week. Uh, big box office this past weekend. Venom made $80 million at the box office, despite a 29% review, a positive review score on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, Bradley Cooper's directorial debut with A Star is Born starring Lady Gaga made $45 million. So... A lot of great movies in theaters, but we have another big release coming out this week, which is First Man. And Will, 
Yes. You got to see First Man. I saw it on Tuesday night. All right. So you were one of the first I men. I was one of the first, first men there. to see First Man. First Man. Um, without spoiling the movie and what they make we, it we to know, the moon we get it the movie, yeah it happens they the survive trailer. yeah guys. that's right he comes back um what did you think of the film uh i liked it a lot i thought it was really neat there were a couple things that i didn't like but it was you, you should know going in that it is not like a raw raw space movie in the same way that apollo 13 or the right stuff or even maybe gravity is like it's it's much more about neil armstrong as a father and a, and a husband and an astronaut and, and a guy, just a, a relatively normal human being who, who lived in, through extraordinary circumstances than about like, like there is not a moment where they have to science the shit out of anything, right? Like there's not a, there is not a, there's not a, we have this round filter and this square box and we ha- dump all the parts. We have to figure out how to connect them moment. It is not that movie at all. It is very much a biopic about, Neil Armstrong, who is, I think, one of the more interesting of the of the early astronauts in terms of like he was a civilian. He was an engineer first and then ended up being a test pilot. And and they start it starts with him as a test pilot in Northern California flying X-15s. And it goes through the the immediate aftermath of the moon landing. And, and it's a it's it's very much about his relationship with his kids and his wife and his friends and so this movie doesn't overly lionize him like we, we've done since the moon landing. I would say it does not even the portrayal when Gina, Gina and I went and saw it when we walked out. She said, I like I don't I kind of don't like Neil Armstrong very much after watching this movie. And and I think I mean, I think that's fair. I think the point that they're trying to make because it's directed by uh, Damien Chazelle, Chazelle, who, who made uh, La La Land and Whiplash. Um, and the point is that like the choices like the choice to be one of these astronauts in the first second and third waves the apollo the people who ended up being on the apollo missions it was such an all-consuming job that that like they there were sacrifices made in literally every other part of their lives and i think that becomes really clear and i don't think i think the thing that this movie makes really clear is that they probably didn't understand that when they signed up I Not, mean, it was wartime, and we don't think about that yeah. historically like that now. It's it is it is very clear. Like one of the, the there's a moment, and this isn't a spoiler if you know the history, but there's a moment when they're at a barbecue, uh, you know, like they they it seemed like they were working six days a week, six and a half days a week, and then Sunday afternoons they always had a barbecue, huh. and um, which is very similar to how they portrayed the right stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it it is. So this takes a lot of the things from the right stuff, the portrayal of astronauts as a culture and as a as a vocation, and uh, the training and, and all that, and it takes the impact on family life that you see a little bit of in Apollo thirteen, um, and blows a lot of that stuff out in a way. Like it's it's a fascinating movie. I can't wait to watch it again. It is not the kind of NASA space porn that you want to see that you expect if you're thinking about Apollo 13 or or one of those movies and and all the way down to the fact that when it's shot in a cockpit and I can't wait to actually talk to Adam about this after he's seen it because he's actually spent time in fighter jets and U2s like those those sequences are shot in a way that that makes them feel unbelievably claustrophobic which I I know has to be an intentional choice but it's it's it was hard to watch sometimes on the big screen. Like instead of seeing a sweeping shot of like the astronaut in the cockpit, 
and the control panel and the sweep of the earth around them or the exterior of the of the of the capsule even you see an incredibly close up tight shot on a single dial on the mm. on the on the control panel or just a glance at the mirror that that is reflecting out of the side of the capsule so he can see behind them when they're taking off in the in the Gemini capsule or, or whatever it happens to be um it, it's and it's it's really well done and the costumes and the props and the sets are gorgeous but you don't get to see him as much of him as as I would have liked. So this isn't the story of the moon landing. This is the story of Neil Armstrong. It 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 is the story of the moon landing, but it is Neil Armstrong's. It's the story about the first man who goes to the moon and who that man is, right? And that's probably going to make people a little uncomfortable because I, it kind of pokes holes into into the story that we often tell ourselves about that. You know, if if the story. Uh, what was the Norman the Norman Rockwell the Moon Fire book? What, what's it called? The one the life time life book that's the photos. Um, it's the collected. Is it, is it Moonfire? It's Moonfire, I think. It's it's like a big, bit large format coffee table book that that collects the photos from life, the photos from NASA, and tells the story of the first moon landing. And it's a hagiography, right? You mm. you see you see these people as the very best of us, which they undoubtedly were. But this movie pr- portrays the more. Um, you know, shows shows the human impact of these of this life, and the sacrifices that these men made, and I I think it's a good like I think it's a good thing. It, like it doesn't I'm oddly more excited about it when you describe it that way because we've gotten the other film. Yeah, like the right stuff exists. It, Apollo thirteen exists. It's the kind of history that can only be told after the maybe the participants are are gone, and um like I it doesn't whitewash things like. A, you know, a T-38 crash that kills a couple of astronaut candidates. It doesn't whitewash. Like, it depicts the, you know, much like Steve Jobs, the the David Fincher Steve Jobs movie hits three key product launches in Jobs' life. This hits, you know, Neil Armstrong as X- X-15 pilot, Neil Armstrong as Gemini commander. Similarly structurally. It, it is similar structurally. But, yeah. but the Apollo 1, the Apollo 1 tragedy, the fire, is is depicted in a very clear um, like forthright, brutal way, and it, it's hard to watch. I, I was, we were there with Ariel, mm-hmm. and she was like, "I knew this was coming." You know, when when we saw Apollo One plugs out test, I was like, "Okay, here it is," and it was, it was, it's like it is clear that it was awful, and it doesn't mm-hmm. hide that that was an awful, awful tragedy. Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs movie. Sorry, and, Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs movie. Yeah, and we will. I just want to acknowledge this. We're going to talk about what happened on the Soyuz today while we're recording this a little later on. I mean, it's hard to talk about this in the context of like we literally had two astronauts have to crash land on Earth a few hours ago. Yeah, um, and it, it just makes it more poignant to talk about what happened in that mid-flight country. abort. Are three of the scariest words I've ever heard. Um, I'm excited to see it. All right. Well, another movie that oh, actually, we'll be talking more about uh, First Man, of course, next week in I was, the coming weeks. Yeah, as, I, I was as, just going to. If you like space, if yeah. you're a space aficionado, this is a movie for you. It is. It is. It is. If you if you are interested in space a little bit, maybe not. Just just more than a little bit. Yeah. How about if you're a fan of Ryan Gosling? Look, Ryan Gosling is a is a baller in everything he makes, as far as I'm concerned. Does Ryan Gosling? As the last thing, the last. Hey, does, will. does the Ryan Gosling ness hey. uh, of him get in the way of? He movie? he portrays Neil Armstrong as intensely focused and very kind of quiet, but but uh, still waters run deep is the is the thing is so, the cliche. I so there's no with. hey girl moments. He does not hey girl anyone. Good. <laughs> Good. 
All right. He, he loves his family very much. And we'll be, of course, talking more about First Man uh, in the coming weeks after we've all seen it. And you out there have hopefully had a chance to see it. Uh, on to other pop culture news. Big shakeups in the Marvel slash DC. Um, They're going to do a crossover? No, no crossover. I don't think that's ever going to happen. What, what a, like what a when thing. When, they run, when Marvel was. starts to slump and DC's on the rise. Yeah. Don't say never. Like the trajectory going on Marvel by DC soon. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. I, I know I that they hurt would, a lot of people. I, I don't think they would just to spite DC. WB with the pride of Warner Brothers would, I'm gonna, not, I'm would gonna, not allow that to happen. I'm going to tell you a secret about people who own studios, and that is that they like making they like money. money. They like money. Yeah. And if the money situation works itself out, eh, it'll, it'll be fine. Yeah. I think, Captain I think, Marvel and Captain Marvel. It's true. There's there's both those movies coming out. Uh, but, uh, of course, uh, James Gunn was fired from directing <laughs> Gardens of Galaxy 3, a movie that's now on hold, even though he turned in a script for it. And the reports this week from Hollywood Reporter is that WB, Warner Brothers, has now hired James Gunn to write Suicide Squad 2, a reboot of Suicide Squad, and potentially direct Suicide Squad 2. I feel like the punishment for him is just continuing. This is mean. What no. DC is doing. No. Suicide Squad is a place he could do do good. It, it made a ton of money. It's a rated R franchise. Well, it has been up till now. And uh, I, I think they would. I mean, it made so much money as a first rated R movie. And for him to soft reboot, I bet they'll probably keep the fan favorites. They'll keep Harley Quinn. Yeah. And they'll keep Joker. Sorry, probably not Will Smith. I don't think Will Smith's coming back for Suicide Will, Squad Will Smith is, was the draw in the first one. Was he yeah. really? Yeah. But Deadshot's kind of a critical Suicide Squad character. Because yeah. we'll he's usually the anchor in the, the Suicide Squad story. Well, Dave Bautista has already expressed at least interest on Twitter in joining the Suicide Squad. So he could be cross cross, uh, he's cross the universes. Guy. Maybe he is the one. He's the daywalker. He'll be the mm. one that brings the two worlds together. Uh, and a lot of speculation as who they would potentially... Who who could be portrayed? Uh, who who Dave Bautista could portray? Like a, maybe a Solomon Grundy. I, I yeah. I would go with um, a Killer Croc. Clayface. No, Killer Croc. Why not? They had a Why Killer Croc. Killer makeup? Croc was in the first Suicide Squad. What really? Yeah, it, it was yeah. a terrible portrayal of Killer Croc. Uh, who is it that there was someone? You want a bad oh, one? King oh. Shark. Ooh no no no, uh, Amazo. What's Amazo? Oh. I don't even know who Amazo is. Yeah, Dave Bautista as Amazo would. That would be do it. Just uh, gotta do it. Amazo's like a artificial intelligence He's, robot that can absorb powers. Evil vision. Oh, okay. Rogue, but a robot. But a robot with a rogue bot? the same type of like uh, widow's peak head uh, helmet and um, and very very buff. Huh. So it would fit the physique. Why, Oftentimes why not Clayface? emotionally stunted. Clayface, Clayface is kind of interesting yeah. too. I think that's hard to. Imagine on the screen, like you have to. They have to be some thought around, yeah, how to do that. Huh. Anyway, I am uh, this. This just uh, has has now piqued my curiosity. Now I'm, I now I want to see this movie happen. Dave, Dave Batista has become a favorite of mine. Like yeah. he's he's he's, he's, a, he's like, good in everything. Delightful human being. Yeah, seems like a wonderful. I man. feel like he's also just owns his spots. Like he doesn't over. Like none of his characters overdo it. He kind of operates within the boundaries that he knows he can do. He's not doing any weird eyebrow acting either, which is nice. No. Very stoic yeah. in some, in some, uh, some yeah. cases. All right, moving on. Uh, other big news this week. Now, we all know Toys R Us went bankrupt and uh, all liquefied all of its stores and assets. But wow, the really? brand 
the sh- the owners of the brand are apparently going to bring it back as potential pop-ups in other stores just in time for the holiday season because they ha- still have, I guess, some connection to the supply chain for toys and they still have their, some of their brands and they're renaming it Jeffrey's Toy Box. Not really Toys R Us. Is that, it? that name is problematic. All of this is bad. Yeah. This is all bad. RIP all the Toys R Us kids. Also, they spelled Jeffrey a giraffe way that's, I find, sorry, G Jeffs. I'm a J Jeff guy. Well, very uneventful then. We'll see if it pops up in your local Montgomery Ward. <laughs> oh, is it, are they going to be in Sears? I think they're going to be in pop ups in places like, like those. I don't Wait, know Sears exactly where. Bankrupt today, I thought. Everything's going back. Oh, Look, no. I'm going to go tell, let me tell you a story Talk about a company called Amazon. Uh, uh, what now? I've never heard of this. Yeah. Well, it's the new Sears Roebuck. Mm, mm. Uh, on to some content, television content specifically. Three big pieces of news. We'll start with something that's further furthest away from production, uh, which is that Ridley Scott has signed on with TNT to direct a series called Raised by Wolves. Now, Ooh. the concept of this, let me pitch it to you, is a world where uh, androids run the Earth and two androids have to raise a human child. So the androids are the wolves? The androids are the wolves. Huh. It's Wuthering Heights, but with robots. Wait a minute. Wuthering Heights? No. What is Wuthering My Heights understanding is a of Wuthering Heights is very different. And, and love. It's a Charlotte Bronte. But isn't, no there, bro- isn't, isn't there like a boy that's raised by a wolf in that one? No. No. That's, Rudyard, I, that's Jungle Book. No. It's a Rudyard Kipling. What am I thinking of? Jungle Book. No, I'm not thinking of Jungle Book. You're literally thinking I'm of Jungle not, Book. I'm literally not thinking of Jungle Book. Raised, so... Uh, Heathcliff is a rough. He's from the bad side of the tracks in Victorian England. Not, not, not raised by wolves. There are very few androids in Wuthering Heights, as I recall. I mean, too. look, Heathcliff is kind of a kind of a uh, android type. He's a little stoic. Uh, I don't know. I'm. I. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and go on a limb here and say that the last few things that I've seen from Ridley Scott didn't really strike my fancy. So. Uh, maybe TV will be good for him. I like what TNT is doing, though, with these prestige miniseries um, that they experiment for one season, one season. I think they did it with uh, Dakota Fanning and um, and uh, two other actors, Daniel Brohl. Um, and, and, and they did the one with Tom Hardy, I believe. And if they do well, then they will they'll continue series more on. it out. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's getting, hopefully, some good actors and some very uh, talented creative folks together to just tell a long form story. It's what um, HBO did with um, Pretty Little Lies. They've done adaptations. So they did Pretty Little Lies and Sharp Objects where they where they start out as a single standalone. And then when it does well, they're like, well, shit, we have to figure out how to make more of these. All right, I will be looking forward to it. Uh, moving on, something even closer to production, though not exactly in production yet, is, of course, the Star Trek Picard series for... Uh, CBS All Access. Now, uh, I, I think over New York Comic Con, uh, they were promoting Star Trek Discovery and some of the people who are now part of that brain trust that are running Star Trek for CPS uh, did some interviews and talked about how they would be going into production April 2019. I think even Sir Pat Stew tweeted a photo showing the writer's room and, uh, and, and them getting together. So still a little ways out from production, which means we probably won't see the show until end of 2019 at the very earliest or if it's on the normal CBS Star Trek schedule sometime in 2022 um, let's let's hope for let's hope for Andy let's hope that Discovery season 2 is like the first half of 2019 their big push okay and then 
the Picard show is their big push at the end of the year. Did you guys like Discovery? I did. I never I watched liked it. Parts. Okay. I, I think it has its its moments. I didn't love the Klingon treatment, but the uh, some of the character development was great. You have to not be wedded to Star Trek um, as a core for like, this. I mean, like if you like old, like optimistic Star Trek, mm-hmm. this is not the show for you. What if I like Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Star Trek? Then you'll it has similar flavors here okay. and there, but it's not those actors. And it's not Obviously. that world. So, you know, it's it's this strange. takes it takes place in the prime. These are both prime timelines. Prime timelines in okay. pre TOS era. Okay. So people expecting a Kirk and Spock. Well, they're going to get a Spock, but they're not, and they're going to get a Pike. But it's not going to be people. Kirk's going to be like three. Kirk's going to be a teenager. Yeah, I think. Uh, so far in this Listen, one. Vulcans can grow beards. It's canon now. That's right. That's right. So Wait, anyway, what? the other big news with uh, Star Trek, uh, the Picard show, is that the producers confirmed they are thinking of this as not just a miniseries, one season oh. spinoff, is that they were thinking of this in multiple seasons. But this is like... How? I don't know. This is like Picard, John Luke Picard detective agency, right? This we, is like we, he retires we, and becomes a, a private detective? We hope so. Space archaeologist, we're hoping. We're hoping oh, space archaeologist. Flautist? Yeah. He, he could just be, it could all just be in the holodeck. Yeah. He could be on, on the vineyards. You know, a lot of options it's for Just Picard. a million dicks. What, what's, the, what's the detective's name? Uh, dicks. Dicks. Uh, Dixon. Harrison Dicks? No. No. Holistic detective agency? No, 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 no. What, what's gently, what's yeah. what's the what's the what's Dixon that? Hill? Dixon Hill. There you go. Dixon Hill, the fictional. His, it's his. It's their Raymond Chandler knockoff. Yes, exactly. The big yeah. goodbye was the name of the the episode. It is totally their Chan- Chandler knockoff. All right, from Star Trek, and also I guess we should talk a little bit about Star Trek Discovery season two trailer, which dropped uh, at New York Comic Con. They are really closing in on convergence on the original series, which is a, a big concern for Star Trek fans, right? Because Star Trek was like, fans were like, okay. We get you want to tell a new story. We kind of want Star Trek to push forward, and with the Picard show, it will push forward to the end of the 24th century. It'll be set around 2399. Uh, but with Discovery, you're going backwards. Fine. You're, let's tell a pre-TOS, pre-Enterprise story, but at some point, you're going to converge with the Enterprise. <laughs> what if the Picard show is just him like leading a bunch of programmers who have to fix the Y2.4K bug? Oh, my God. I, I don't think that would be the case. It's I think just, I think they like would have workplace drama. The Daystrom Institute has got that figured out. Okay, maybe I'm sure. you think that. But well, well, you, you, you programmers make the damnedest mistakes, mm-hmm. and uh, and you got to figure out how the how how uh, how the clocks can be in sync with uh, t- time dilation and all that. Exactly. Right. Uh, Discovery is converging with TOS to a point where you had, and this is minor spoilers if you hadn't seen season one. You have the ship, you have the Enterprise seen at the end of the season. They've casted Captain Pike. They've casted number one, um, and they showed it in the trailer. Um, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Romaine, uh, is playing number one. Okay. Who was who was on the unaired pilot, right? Yes, briefly seen. Uh, so the she's ma- a, a black wit. Uh, n- no, I can't. I, no. Oh my god. They they made they cut up the episode with the brain thing and made that into into the later episode. The unaired the cage. Pilot. The cage. The yeah. cage. And um, they, they've cast a Spock, and you hear his voice in the trailer, and you see a glimpse of him. And to Kishore's point, what you're alluding to, he has a beard. It's bearded Spock. I think, wow. the, I think the actor has nailed uh, the Spockiness he of it. He looks the part. Looks the part, okay. sounds the part. Um, I think that even if you're a fan of Quinto's, Zachary Quinto's Spock in the J.J. Abrams, the Kelvin universe, I think 
this is a Spock that you could get used to and you could feel like it's it's Spock. It's too bad they couldn't convince Quinto to come 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 that, down that to TV. That wouldn't make sense. That wouldn't make sense at all. Why not? It's the same no. character. It's the, the divergence is well, twenty years it's earlier. It's a temporal. I guess. It's a temporal divergence. <sighs> Just own it and just move forward. That's what I have to say. And the Klingons look different, and there are some what? Uh, different birds of prey. The Klingons. I told have, you the Klingon thing is all. The Klingons have hair now. What? What? Well, they were supposed to have hair because, uh, but they didn't have hair in the first season. So they've redesigned the Klingons a bit. Well, that's that's canon. I mean, between the first and second seasons of Star Trek, the Klingons got redesigned. Yep, yep. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go from Star Trek to Star Wars because we got also this past week the first glimpses. Uh, a plot synopsis and an image from the Star Wars TV series that will be launching next year with the Disney subscription uh, program, the subscription they're they're offering. And the show, this is the one that's produced by John Favreau, I want to say, is called The Mandalorian. Mm. So set on the outskirts, on the outer rims, set in the outskirts of the of the galaxy, outside of maybe Imperial rule. Uh, it's going to be about bounty hunters, not Boba Fett necessarily. Bounty hunters or mercenaries? Mercenaries, bounty hunters. It's about yeah. uh, a lone Mandalorian. Huh. And uh, the first image <clears throat> has uh, shows this uh, bounty hunter's armor, which looks really cool. A modernized take on the Boba Fett Mandalorian armor. Uh, and Does he have I'm, a jetpack, Norm? Uh, no jetpack that I can see. Cape, yes. Okay. Jetpack, Some no. sort of sawed-off Mandalorian gun. Okay, uh, Helmet looks good. No, no, uh, no, no. Uh, sc- uh, he looks cool. down uh, scope eyepiece. Oh. He looks good. It's a little stripped down from what we've seen with Boba Fett. I'm excited about this. Dave Filoni is directing the first episode. Ooh, Bryce Dallas Howard is directing an episode, and then this one. This one's for you, Will. Taika Waititi is nice. directing an episode. So they're sparing no expense. They're sparing no expense. So this will be a big deal. I hope no lightsabers. This is supposed to be set again between episode uh, four and, or I'm sorry, six and seven. I want to say, uh, and uh, huh. I, I don't think we'll see lightsabers. I think this will be just like another I mean, piece of the Star Wars universe. Canonically, there's no lightsabers during that time, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's, they're just hidden in cases, and yeah, stuff, or in, in chests, in, in bars. Yeah. Uh, the final bit of pop culture news that we we'll want to talk about is uh, the Banksy. This was amazing. This is so, an incredible thing. A lot of speculation. Of, of what I still now. don't know if it's real. Let's talk about how we heard, how, how the public heard about it, right? I guess it was Saturday during the day. We got news Saturday morning. News outlets are reporting that at Sotheby's? Sotheby's. Sotheby's, in, uh, a big auction of artwork. Now, Banksy has worked with auctioneers to auction off pieces of art. Him selling art is not a new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the artist known as Banksy. And... And so this is a piece that sold for equivalent of one one point two million dollars, right? A billion, a million girl pounds. holding the red balloon, yeah. red heart balloon. Very uh, iconic Banksy piece. And then the moment the gavel hit went down, and there's now video of this. And previously, oh, there's when, video. There's video. There's photos initially of just people gasping, which is why people believe didn't necessarily believe that it could have been an onion piece, right? Um, but the piece, the the artwork went through the frame like a paper shredder and half of it is shredded. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple questions. One. Just a couple? <laughs> uh, how did Sotheby's not know? Anyone uh, even touching the frame, installing it? 
Well, I mean, look, the the output from this kind of handheld shredder is is small. It's Wait, just a but, of but slots. just seeing the vents. Just seeing. Are there uh, vents? I mean, they're just seeing how where does the, the, paper the gap come out, is. Then? There's a little slit on the bottom. You can right. Hide a how, slit. how would you, you not see that? How, hmm. If someone's inspecting artwork, right? If you're Sotheby's, do you handle artwork within the frame or not in the frame? Yeah, don't they to authenticate? Verify. You you authenticate I mean, it when it's typically where it out from. of the frame. Like when they acquire from Banksy for yeah. an auction like this or wherever the source was, because that's also unclear whether this is a reselling from someone who previously yeah. owned a Banksy piece. You take it out of the frame. Look. So the presumption. The, 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 you're worried about the wrong things here. Well, well, we'll get to those other questions. The presumption is that Sotheby's has issued a statement that they were they did not know about this. this was, they were. I think involved. it's safe to say we believe we can believe that statement. And if we believe that, because it is their reputation yes. on the line as a uh, art broker and broker millions of, of dollars, like yes. if, if they were in on this, then the validity of a lot of their auctions can be held in question. Yes. So if they were not in on this and assuming that the deal for this to be auction was such that it's handed off to them. They have to trust that it's Banksy, trust that the frame was part of the whole well, they, package. They have to have an authentication process for an anonymous artist like Banksy. I mean, yep. also, Banksy is only popularly anonymous. People in the art scene probably know who Banksy is. Sure, yes, and there's a lot of speculation. You read yeah. the whole Wikipedia page yeah. of like, there's a whole documentary about the whole thing, right? Uh, so assuming that that part was genuine, then the question is how long they have the, the frame and the art piece, and how was that powered? Was this like, Years in the making, months in the making, weeks in the making, days in the making. We don't know. Well, lithium-ion batteries decay 50% over like a period of years, so it could have been in a case for two years and probably still work. That seems like a very – we want to believe that's high a long risk. Con. Very high risk. Yeah. Uh, and then the final thing is how was it activated so timely? Mm-hmm. So the theory, of course, is that someone was in the room and there's now a lot of reports of a masked person being tackled by security, et cetera, et cetera. It, was it Banksy himself? It, or? Was, it was the last auction of the day, so it wasn't like the gavel striking, triggering it or something like that. Exactly. Presumably. So you know, someone in on it was activating it. All of that totally f- fine. And if it was the case, bravo. Also- right? a, 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 a wonderful piece of performance art. The total- Price was bid up to the maximum, like his previous record, exactly. Oh, interesting. Um, so yeah, like you know, presumably some of the bidders were in on something. Mm. The, eventually, whoever won the piece, congratulations to them. Yeah, they, they have the something lottery. far more valuable than just the Banksy piece itself. And here's where the extra speculation comes into play. I think um, uh, who was I follow on Twitter? Uh, Steve from, from yes, yeah, Steve Bowler from. Uh, yeah. Uh, Island Ooh. Isle 357. Oh, yeah, they, they make the, the game. A yeah. VR game developer postulated that there could have been, that the piece wasn't actually shredded. That oh, the there. shredding itself was a piece of performance because there was a rolled up, already shredded piece that then got rolled out. Oh, and like a you, magic trick. Like, like, exactly. the, like the coin, yeah. like the dollar bill magic trick. That yeah. if, you, if, you, if you measure from top to bottom the, the image and the frame, it's they don't longer. line up. They don't line up. It's but, longer which, than what I mean. The, that would make would me. Out. That would be disappointing. It's that's po- true. I mean, it really doesn't matter uh, to me. Like I, the the preservation of the of the original piece isn't the art that happened there. The art is the is the sleight of hand that caused a piece of artwork to be shredded. Uh, it was the, the and the, Im- the immediate the reactions. Right, yeah. The reactions. People. Yeah. Yes. The gasp and that, that's what they were going yeah, for. Yeah. The real failure of the piece was that there wasn't video. But if there's video, then, then maybe there is no failure of the piece. Yeah. Let's just end this by saying that was spectacular. A, I don't care if it's real or not. That was spectacular. I I 
we we talked about this at length on when I was playing playing games on Saturday night with some friends, and one of them is is a is a, a pop artist of some renown, Mike Mitchell. Um, and we were just like, it was, it was a very fun conversation. Like he was really excited about it. Like, this is the fucking coolest thing in a long time. And, and yeah, at first, like there was hand wringing about the poor person who won the auction and whether they're about, and like, there's, there's no, like, this is, you don't make a poor person that has a million dollars to spend on a Banksy. Yeah. A, but B also the piece became instantly more valuable when it got nation worldwide coverage for this this stunt, so props to them. Did you see the other kind of artist stunts that people started sharing? Like the, the Banks thing was cool, but do you remember in the 1980s when this artist did this one thing? He did the acid the acid paints that the painting decayed over time. I, I didn't read about that one. There was one artist who had a gallery, and I forgot the name of the artist uh, in New York, where he had um, a uh, what the, the it's a mechanical structure apparatus. There's, there's a name for it, but like it was a like the two trusts that were pushing against the walls, and basically the turnstiles for the exhibition would slowly <laughs> open this up. And so when a certain number of people had gone through the exhibit, the it exhibit collapsed. would collapse, and, the, and, and apparently the, uh, the fire chief was very unhappy about this yeah. <laughs> because it would have collapsed a big building. It was put against like two supporting beams of an art gallery. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. And it's like enough people see this piece, the building comes down. And so it's total like game theory experiment of like people wanting to partake in it, and also how close you want to get. Well, the, I mean, there's a lot of stuff happen- that happens in like the poster world too, where people will do like a set that's that's like in order to see the actual art underneath, you have to destroy, you have to destroy something, or, or like it's it's there. There's a lot of interesting stuff that happens in this space. That's fun and is like it and parallels like a lot of it is making like. Like just the mechanics of the frame for the Banksy piece are fascinating to me. Yeah, whether it's whether it's a real shredder or the dollar bill sleight of hand trick or whatever, it's it's a it's a really interesting technical problem. And it's something that could never be done again. You oh. do this the once, and the impact it would never yeah. be as much as this. Yeah, like it's a, it's a, you play it for the one time effect. Yeah, exactly. All right, time to fly through some tech news. All right, all right, brace yourself. Hey. I trust you. Keith. Fixed it. Well done. All right. Google had a big uh, event this week announcing hardware, even though all of it, almost all of it was leaked ahead of time. We're talking, of course, about the Pixel 3 phone and the Pixel 3 XL. Uh, Kishore, what's new with the Pixel 3? Pixel 3 has a notch because apparently phones are regulated to have notches the now. Future. It is the future. Uh, it is the future. You can software eliminate the notch. It'll, I like that a lot. It'll put the black bar up there for you if you like. Uh, Why? That's such a bad idea. Why? Why does it matter? Let people do their thing. Toggle on and off. It's not. I guess that's the Android thing. Let people do their thing. I see less screens, so that you your tick your visual tick will be less. Look, the part of the screen on my iPhone 10 that has the stuff up there. If it was a black background, or if it's the same background as the rest of the window, the the same data is going to be there. Yeah, I'm not too worried. It's just presumably aesthetic thing. Presumably, if you enable the mode that eliminates the loss, and I use eliminate lightly because. It technically is still there. All you're doing is literally putting black tape essentially over yeah. those parts, the other on the left and right of it to make it look consistent. You're losing screen space. No, you're not because this, the this time and stuff is still up in that space. It's not in that space. When yeah, you, it is. 
So if you if you say don't show me the notch, yep. then how do you see the time? It's still it up there. Down. It just it shifts no, 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 down. No, 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 no. It, there's still the space. The space on the right and left of the notch are still used. It's just always a black background. Oh, I thought it was just turned. No, 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 no. Okay, that would be then madness. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. That would be madness. Yeah, it's it's literally an aesthetic thing. So, like, if you don't like the cutout out of your phone's UI, so it is just a black background. It is literally to... just a black background for the height of the notch. That that's oh. totally fine. That I mean, seems fine. Now, okay, I so I should qualify. I'm basing this off of a thing that I read on ours, and I looked at the infographic but didn't read the entire story. So maybe the infographic was them saying, "Hey, this is how this should work." Oh. Well, anyway, let's talk about the actual <laughs> Pixel 3. Basically, display is better, faster processor, all of that kind of stuff that you expect with a new phone. I think like we haven't people haven't had hands-on for a long time at this point, but generally speaking, they're saying the camera is just as good and, and like slightly better than the the Pixel 2 XL uh camera, which I have a Pixel 2 XL. It is fantastic it's very the good. camera the camera the, they made a lot of play about the digital zoom feature that's new, and people are saying Did it, it works like a digital zoom. Don't, and you, don't when you use say camera digital. is better, and it's more about the philosophical approach that Google and Android takes with the image processing than Apple takes. You know, Apple has the approach that they think they know what's, what you want, and so they will uh, do some computational processing and computational uh, photography to, to smooth out some of the, the blemishes and... and and you don't see as much grain. There's just more aggressive noise reduction. Uh, whereas on the Pixel phones, if you're a photographer who wants to see the grain, because you can do your own noise reduction, uh, you're going to be happy with a pure image that comes out of that sensor. I mean, I, I, that's just how Android has been forever, right? So there's not really a change here. I mean, I, we can talk about the inner guts of this phone a lot, but it's a small iteration on the Pixel Two, it like kept the good parts of the Pixel Two, like the, the can, like how the camera works, and uh, and expanded on like the display, um, and made that a lot better. That uh, like we should talk about the key features that rolled out, though. I'm completely wrong on the notch. I got it backwards. Sorry. Oh, yes. so when you when so you black out the notch, it, it pushes stupid. things. It pushes, pushes everything down. That, that is stupid. super dumb. So the thing I saw was was another Android phone that does it the smart way. Okay, and not. I yeah. yeah. Apologies, corrections. Is that's a stupid solution. It's really dumb. Yeah, if you embrace the notch at that point. Yeah. Or or download a skin that will give you exactly just, that what you want, which is just, the black background with the the information. Anyway, sorry, sorry. for interrupting you. No, it's it, totally fine. Um uh, let's say, like I want to talk about the software feature that makes a ton of sense for me. I mean, we talked at I uh, after IO about their AI phone call feature. The, and the we got cooked one. You mean? Yeah, where they you could you know have your Google Assistant make a phone call to like the barber or whatever yeah. restaurant. I'm waiting for that to roll out. And I'm really excited about this it. one got like a half feature of that that I think is great. The call screening, where it will. Did you see this feature? Yeah, I think this is the best feature where it will answer a call for you and answer with an AI voice. It gives you the readout on the screen. It allows you to screen, and if it's telemarketers, and I've seen an uptick of spam calls to oh, my totally. phone. Oh, totally. Me too. I think everyone has. Yeah. Uh, this is an awesome way to get rid of that garbage. You know, it would be much better if the phone system just didn't let people spoof phone numbers and dial in with and break the existing system. But, yeah, this is a this is a good Until they measure, run the telecoms. Yeah. And so mo- this is really a, an announcement just about the hardware because we got all the software features in 
the I.O. announcements <laughs> earlier this year. So the question I have is how – so I had a Pixel 2 XL and sent it back because it was too big. Um, and like the, the Pixel the 3 chin XL is still the, really big. The chin and the forehead on that phone were enormous. Um, and made it not fit in my in my pants pocket. Frankly, is it still same size, same same bigness? Pixel three XL six point three inch, so it Whew. is big. So it's big. So I really want a Pixel three if I want a Pixel, not a Pixel three XL probably. Yeah, and Pixel three doesn't have the notch. Uh, it's just sort of like the standard okay uh, look and phone. feel. But I am not sold on this notch thing anyway, so I feel like that's not a big deal to I, me. I find that the notch is something I worried about for about three days after I got my iPhone X and then stopped noticing entirely. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the only thing I don't like about it is that actually if you're holding the phone sideways watching a movie or something, then then where you hold the phone on the top left corner with when you're holding it with your left hand can trigger the touchscreen, and that's annoying. Yeah. yeah. I think the only thing this announcement really nailed is the fact that they kept it sub-1,000, which I think is really important for the Pixel sort of ecosystem. But they still increase the price. Yes, but they it's 900 for the uh, XL. for the XL and 800 for the for the uh, Pixel 3, which is still like a That's ton a of, money. of money. money for phones. But I think it's important, like, you know, since Apple crossed that threshold, I think... Just rocketed right through yeah. it. They didn't cross it. It's uh, like, I bought computers that cost less than, than an iPhone XS Max. Yeah. Yes, I mean... The problem isn't it costs that much. The problem is that they've run on a business model that expect people to buy a new one every two years. Yeah. And I think that, that's probably that's, changing, though. It better be. And, and it gives permission for a lot of other uh, other manufacturers to start charging that much. Like Razor, their flagships are now $800. The, the, well, they're selling a niche phone, though, don't you think? It is so expensive. For, for I mean, like, what's the value? Like, my phone is my primary computer for work right and, and for a lot of people it yeah. is the phone and the tablet are their primary computer and i think for a tablet if you're if your ipad is or your new uh android or pixel slate is your primary computer spending 800 dollars on that is totally fine but the phone there's only so much you can do on the phone too i, I for me for, so, so for me like i used to think nothing was spending 600 700 on a phone every year because i use it a lot it's a business expense when they when they cross that thousand dollar threshold, it becomes an every other year, or maybe even every third year. Every Let's see how it year. goes. Yeah, um, I mean the batteries are good for what fifteen hundred cycles theoretically, although that hasn't been the case in the past. So let's let's see, let's see how it goes. Yeah, and We're, batteries are not consumables. They they are right. They, I mean they have been, but now they are now acknowledged as when you buy the phone, don't expect expect the battery to last. It's a thing that will affect electric cars too. Mm-hmm. You know, engines will last. Decades. Well, the, Electric car batteries, not so much. 10,000 miles, 10, 10 years. We're talking about a cost of 40 or $50 a month for these phones yeah. uh, on a two-year cycle. That's leasing, which is <laughs> a, a lot, fair amount of money. You can like, lease a Fiat, electric Fiat for $99 a month now in California. What so, are you going to get more out of for your life? Well, I, if you're addicted to Instagram, you know. I don't. I mean, I, don't. I use my phone more than my computer, but a two-year life cycle is actually the problem. If that I, if that's what people if that's what their business model is based on, I, I mean, if you lived in a world where it was easy to swap the battery out, that wouldn't be a problem, right? And a none two, of two plus year life cycle, that. and none of them you can. Let's quickly talk about the other things. All right, there's so they the launched, slate. Yeah, there's the slate. tablet. It's uh, I, I have a little more time. Also, just FYI, okay. uh, they have it starts at six hundred dollars and goes up to sixteen hundred dollars. 
just be, not not even to including like the accessories, like the the keyboard uh, or the pen. Uh, and that's because you the the processing on the inside can range from a four gigabyte RAM, thirty two gig SSD, and eighth gen core Celeron processor to at the top almost. No, more than twice as much. 16 gigs of RAM, 256 gigs of storage, and a Core i7. Now, why do you need 16 gigs of RAM and a Core i7 on something that's going to run Chrome OS? Um, you don't. You don't. You don't. Storage, I get. But Do you, do you need storage on Chrome OS? Uh, like, media. Media. They want you to ingest media. Oh, they media. want you to put they want they want you you to all your photos. Store. All your photos and watch movies and stuff on. Okay, exactly. That makes sense. And two fifty six reasonable. We're not talking about the 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 five twelve on on phones. Like this is this is desktop level processing in a tablet. I don't think Chrome OS needs it. Get that entry level, and you'll be fine. I mean, maybe in a couple years, like people are going to be using Photoshop more regularly on the on Chrome OS, but that doesn't seem to be the case right now. This is meant to be a competitor to Surface, right? Does does it have TensorFlow cores? That's what I want to know. I don't think so. No. no. Um, it is meant to be a competitor surface. And the thing that I think hurts it, even though it's a 12.9-inch display or something, uh, and you know, very high resolution, um, LCD, 12.3-inch display, sorry, is that the keyboard doesn't do what the Surface Pro keyboard does, which is the Surface Pro keyboard. And Microsoft's best thing they did with their Surface is design that magnetic keyboard to attach across the entire lower lip yeah. of the screen so you can actually use it on your lap. So it adds the flappy. rigidity. The yeah. rigidity for the keyboard in your lap is so important. And neither the iPad Pro keyboards nor the Google Slate keyboards, those are great probably on the desk if you have like a rigid surface put it on well, on your lap, which is how a lot of people use their laptops. Uh, it, it's insufficient. I mean, in fairness, it took Microsoft three generations of surfaces to get to the point that that thing actually worked the way they said it did. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see if it continues. Uh, but yeah. There's a couple things that are uh, questionable. Like they don't have a headphone jack on this. I don't get that. Like even on a yeah. even tablet, the iPhone. What is that? It's the 21st century, man. You don't you don't need uh, even wires the iPad. anymore. Yeah. I wish it had an SD slot, but I guess that's sort of going out of vogue anyway. So yeah, why would you just beam it over from your phone? You can use Bluetooth. It'll be great. It's gonna All be right. a great future. There's also uh, the Am- or sorry, the Google has their new um, Amazon Spot Show competitor. It's the the Home Hub. Um, this is Google, they said at I.O. this year, they would start launching Google Homes with displays. Lenovo has one, and now Google has their own hub. So the interesting thing about this, so it's basically a, a piece of hardware designed to run Google Assistant. And the interesting thing about this is that all of the third-party ones are running an Android-based version of the OS. Mm. And this one is running, I believe, the a souped-up version of the Chromecast OS. Called Assistant OS. Yeah. yeah. So custom HTML app. Yeah. Which is... Better? I, they Maybe. did it because in an interview they said they did it because they could. I think there's some benefits for YouTube viewing because mm. of uh, the. Uh, but I like we have to wait and see the stability of this. For me, there's two like two kind of questionable things about this. I love the integration with the Google ecosystem. So, like my main complaint about the the Echo Show I have is beyond some usability things, you, it's not connected to any media ecosystem. So I can't play YouTube on it. This takes care of that. But um, no no front-facing camera. So now it can't be used as a video device. Well, That no, makes okay. no sense to me. It's but they don't have a video platform, do they? It's well, <laughs> the Lenovo one. So within the home assistance, right? If you're stuck in Google, you want to use Google stuff, you have a choice between $150, which is this hub device, pretty good price. 
with a screen. Uh, Lenovo One's $200. Lenovo One does have a camera, but it only works not even with Hangouts. It Duo? only works with freaking Duo. Duo. I'm probably fine. But I'm I, fine without any of these things, to be honest. These all seem bad. I like this kind of device in the kitchen. I think there is usefulness in that very particular scenario. So why not just put your phone on the table? Well, that's what I do. I think I completely agree. If you look at the design of this thing, it's a funky design because it reads as if you're supposed to be able to take that screen off of that mesh speaker right. part in the bottom. And if that was the case, that would be much more useful. If that was like a dock for something that was like a tablet. Yeah, then it'd be, they have batteries and all sorts of, it would be way more expensive. It, it would be way more expensive. But that the user case wise, that would make a little more sense. I, I mean, honestly, what this product should be is a OS that you can run on your old Android phone that does exactly what this thing does. But right? it's not new, new and shiny and they can't sell you new hardware. The, well, but, I mean, the, but they're not a hardware company. They, they, don't yeah. want, they, they, they just want the information. They don't exactly. want the hardware. Exactly. The double down on smart home features with this, it seemed uh, an odd choice. Well, it too. connects direct to like Bluetooth lights. I mean, the, look, they're all looking at the smart home as an actual market for the first time in 30 years and, and want to own that. That's why we're seeing Samsung, Google, Amazon, everybody's doing smart hubs. Yeah, it seems early. It, 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 makes, it makes the smart home, the Samsung purchase of smart things four years ago make a lot more sense. Um, and, and good for those companies. And, and I will say, having done all the lights and all that business, it, like, it, it started out really dopey. And once you have everything plugged in and it's all working right, it's kind of nice. It's not spend $2,000 nice, but it's, it's, it's nice. Yeah. Uh, last bit of Google news, not announced at, at this event, but RIP Google Plus. Google Plus is going away. It's a slow tier. I assume you guys talked about Google Inbox getting killed in favor of the yeah. increasingly yeah, shitty Gmail interface. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm like, take those Google Plus resources and move them back over to Inbox and turn Inbox back what on. What Google please. Plus resources? Was anyone working on this? Look, we knew Google Plus was doomed three years ago when, when they all stopped posting on Google Plus. Right when when Sergey Page when Sergey Brennan and Larry Page posted their last Google Plus updates in 2012. And what do they post on Medium now? I don't. Know. They don't even post. What did someone say? Medium's a, it's like they have Medium for billionaires. It's a different site. Medium is Live Journal for executives for, for executives CEOs. with failed startups. Yeah, that's right. Seems right. I posted on Medium. That seems harsh. Um, too real. Too real. Yeah. All right, that's it the, for. Well, yeah. wait, wait. We should mention there is a hat the thing about Google Plus going down is it came on the heels of a security vulnerability that they covered up. And, and we have very few details yet still about what data was exposed through that hack, at least when we're recording this. And so that is not very Google-esque, let's yeah. just say, what happened there. It's Especially given how tight their inter, 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 ecosystem was integrated with Google Plus, presumably you could have a lot of access to a lot of important data. So, yeah. Not googly. All right. Where would you like to go, Norm? Uh, let's quickly talk about, in terms of leaks and hacks, this Bloomberg report. I'm not going to give a ton of credence because it's a lot of questions about authenticity of this report, but that there's uh, tiny chips in some of the servers that the big companies, such as Apple and uh, and Amazon, have acquired this from... This is the super micro thing. Yep, from Chinese companies. Uh uh, Apple has vehemently denied this, and Amazon, and Amazon has as well. And so, at some point, the truth will come out. But uh, the point is that you know, it's in the data centers. You got to know what's in your hardware, and they, people can make really small chips. And 
I don't know how exactly this will work if you're talking about a closed system where the data centers have, have no access to the internet. Uh, but like, how do you get that information out? So we used to, like, there were, there were stories pre-Snowden even of the NSA intercepting routers, leaving factories, and replacing the firmware on the routers with firmware that would, would you know, quietly send uh, data about traffic and metadata and stuff when they were going to certain foreign countries, right, from, from uh, factories in China to, you know, Iran and, and Syria and North Korea, presumably. Um, I like this is both a thing that seems like it would be very easy to do and a thing that when you start talking to electrical engineers, they say would be very complicated to do. So I, I don't know. I like I really I really the Bloomberg thing seemed to be very well reported. Um, they're they're a trustworthy, reliable source that when they say we have multiple sources on this stuff, I tend to believe them. Um, and it's unlike Apple or Amazon to unequivocally deny something that could potentially be true. So I, I don't it's, this, it's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, this, this could be the new the new Snowden leak in terms yeah. of how, how important this is. But again. We don't know. Uh, all right. Uh, moving on. Let me continue with my show notes. Uh, nope. Don't want to talk about that. Don't want to talk about that. Oh, you know what? Let's talk about Telltale because we didn't talk about this last week. We oh, yeah. missed the, the week of the podcast when this news came out that, of course, very sad news. Telltale had to shut down its operations and lay off several hundred of its employees. All, all of the employees. All employees including yeah. several hundred people. And, but, and the offices are here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So, like, you, you, I know we, somebody we that worked. We all know Telltale yeah, people. We all know people. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're following the saga of this, uh, it's, it, it just sounds like terrible, terrible all around in terms of all the circumstances and business decisions and even how they, they announce this, you know, the, the, the layoffs. Uh, and the newest news, though, is that Skybound is picking up, Skybound's uh, Robert Kirkman, who created The Walking Dead, is picking up production of... Uh, the Walking Dead this last season of it, and presumably working and hiring some. No, hiring, oh no, I was just saying, I was scratching my uh, head. Hiring sorry. some of uh, the Extel toy employees, probably not hiring them full time. It's unclear. It's unclear. Like, they would be working with uh, it, and it is it is the the faintest of silver linings in this. this just terrible just saga. to be clear, the way Telltale was shut down was unfortunate in that. They announced the layoffs and the closing with like 10 days to go in the month of September and cut people loose with no severance and no insurance and and like their insurance expired at the first of on the first of October. Like it was it was very sudden and kind of seemingly out of nowhere for the people involved, including people who had just moved to across the, the country yeah, or even country. internationally. That's right. Um, so, yeah, it, it sucks. Like. At the end of the day, I'm, it's great that more episodes of Walking Dead are getting made. They're not on the store. It's not on the store right now. You can't buy the last season right now. Um, but I, like I, I'm fortunate. It's yeah. a nice way to put it. It, it was kind of shitty. Yeah, I mean, look. Anytime you have a company that's been operating for as long as Telltale does, it's shitty. Um, but it seems like this could have been handled with more transparency for the people involved. Although, I, I mean, it, like the story is that they had funding and then the funding fell through at the last minute. So. I mean, that happens to everybody, I guess, at some point, maybe, if you're unlucky. In other games news, Microsoft announced that they have a new, that they're going to be investing in game streaming, a new project called Project X Cloud. Uh, And this comes on the heels of Google announcing a very similar streaming type service using, of course, its YouTube backbone. Uh, But this is theoretically low latency, on live style game streaming with 
both support for physical controls or if you're just on a mobile device, on-screen controls. How are those buttons going to work? The, 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 uh, the shoulder buttons, how's so, that going to work? So um, Google's been running the Odyssey test, right? It's running right now with a, as a beta for uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And people seem to, it seems to be, for the people I've talked to that have tried it, it seems to work pretty well. Um, I, I mean, that type of game doesn't necessarily require the most immediate of responses. Yeah, you're not going to play a Counter-Strike Go or a fighting game or something like that on this service ever, I don't think, uh, just because of the speed of light. But but like Microsoft seems to think that this is the opportunity. Microsoft and UB and a bunch of the current big publishers are treating like this like this is the opportunity to continue growing the like the kind of traditional gaming market beyond mm -hmm. the space that it's at now, meaning people who are willing to invest three to $500 in gaming hardware. And if you believe that what that Google story from what, two weeks ago, that they're, they're mm -hmm. streaming yep. a video thing. So uh, this is the future. I don't think it's the future. I think it's a long way off. I think I mean, it's the future for people who like to play Fortnite on their phones. What does pretend for console dedicated console gaming when we're talking about consoles costing three to four hundred dollars that is those are loss leaders like when we're talking well, about not anymore not so much depending on the hardware i mean some like, of that hardware the graphics processing hardware because nvidia's got to make its margins amd's got to make its margins those are those are expensive chips to put in there but i mean an xbox one x is selling for 500 bucks presumably i mean that might have been a loss leader for a couple of months but by the time they sell 10 million of them then they're they'll be fine yeah, um those phones the margins on the phones are a lot then yeah the margins of the phones are great yeah hey ps yeah when when people stop buying as many apps then apple wants to make some cash on the on cheddar on the back end on the front end rather than the back mm -hmm. uh do we see a world we think there'll be hybrid hybrid consoles where some of the some of the graphics some of the games maybe backgrounds are are rendered remotely and streamed and foregrounds or and characters are rendered locally i think it's much more likely that we see like a 99 dollar xbox Xbox Next that does streaming games for, you know, across the entire background backlog of, of Xbox games and is tied to a Games Pass type service, plus the opportunity to buy new stuff early. Because we all need more subscriptions in our life. Look, $10, $10 a month here, $10 a month there. Pretty soon you're talking three four $4,000 a month. It's, it's what the faceless multinationals want. All right. Um, and finally, uh, last bit of uh, Harvard rumor news is that Nintendo may update its Switch hardware next year. That seems soon. I think it's a, that sounds right. It's, two, it's years? Switch, two years? Two years, and this is going to not and They had a massive hardware it. vulnerability, too, which oh. probably accelerated things. And it makes sense that they could make more money with the Switch selling so well. They could make more money with the Switch Pro, right, with a high-resolution screen. Switch Lite. Or Switch Lite, right? Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity for them to have the same software compatibility. The battery doesn't last even that long. Yeah. I think, I think, I mean, I think the other opportunity for something that's portable like the Switch is I have one. My kid probably at some point in the future will use it enough that I'll want to get a second one. Hand me and, down. Hand me down those first gens. And give her that bad first gen. I'll take the nice, shiny, new second yeah. gen. Yeah. What if it's a smaller one made for smaller hands? That's too bad. Wow. We're getting the big one for big hands. Oh, okay. I mean, it, 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 it would be smart for them to maybe two two versions, a Switch Pro and a Switch Lite. Um, Switch Max, a Switch S Max. Switch X Max. Yeah, a Switch yeah, S okay. Max Pro. Yep. Um, yep. Face ID, fingerprint sensor. Yeah. A notch for no reason. 
I mean, the Switch only runs at 1080. Maybe they, maybe they do want 4K. Uh, interesting thing happened in games. Uh, PlayStation announced that they're allowing cross-platform for Fortnite and potentially other games. Like oh, they are. Potentially Rocket League and Minecraft and this stuff is the, like that. This is a big issue with them. Is yeah. This comes on the heels of them also allowing, uh, in the near future, game name changes. Yeah, username changes. Username changes. Finally. Um, I've been playing Minecraft with my daughter, and I play on the PC, and she plays on the Switch, and it's very... Mm-hmm. it's. It's like magic that we can do that across platforms. It still feels it like magic. It should not be, feel like but magic, like, though. But like I can sit on the couch and play on the phone, and she can play on the Switch. It's it's very cool. Is Minecraft? Minecraft. Microsoft. Yeah, Microsoft. That's why, why they bought it. Can't do it on PlayStation yet. No, no. All right. Uh, before we move on to our next segment, I want to thank the sponsor that makes this episode possible, and that is Lutron's Caseta Smart Lighting. Uh, Lutron Caseta by Lutron Smart Lighting Control, brought to you by Lutron Pioneers in Smart Home Technology. With Caseta, you can schedule your lights to come on at dusk, so your family always comes back to a well-lit home. It takes your smart speaker, like your Alexa, Google Home, Apple HomePod, and makes it more powerful by letting you control the lights with your voice. Caseta is the most connected smart lighting brand, and it works with more smart home devices than any other smart lighting brand, letting you pair lights with things like security devices, thermostats, and music systems like Nest, uh, Sonos, and and more. Uh, we have the Caseta system set up at our home. We're pretty lazy these days. Danica's very immobile because we have a baby coming. So we just use our app and adjust all our lights that way. So get smart lighting and the get the smart way with Caseta by Lutron. Search for Caseta. That's C-A-S-E-T-A. Or check out Lutron, L-U-T-R-O-N dot com to learn more. Caseta by Lutron. Welcome home to peace of mind. time for a moment of science so two minutes and two seconds after a rocket took off uh this uh we had a fault register in the soyuz capsule and uh we just got reports um now of what the uh, actual communication between the capsule and uh, mission control in, in in russia was and here's the how the story goes is just after the the rocket booster separation it registered a fault. Automated system kicked in and noticed this fault and forced the capsule to essentially eject. So there wasn't even a human. Nobody pulled the trigger, pushed the button, whatever. As far as we understand now, like ground control had that capability to do it. And I assume the astronauts aboard had capability to do it. Uh, but as far as we know, it was an automated thing. Basically, the acceleration was less than they needed to get where they needed to go. Oh. So it was... So it was like something really or something yeah bad something happening. really dangerous so when it separates they actually went into free fall and then you hear over command uh that the russian cosmonaut uh, mentions they're pulling 6.7 g's as they start descent and so they do this hard descent and like usually like you don't want the capsule to come straight down that's a good way to pancake your astronauts it always tries to go laterally to kind of uh, take a lot of that force, so they were pulling 6.2 G's, and then with uh, 6.7 G's, and then within about a minute. So that means, had, hold on, that means a man that weighs 200 pounds weighs 1,200 and cha- change. And typically, four G's is about the maximum that they pull. Um, and direction matters with G's yeah. too. So uh, if it is, uh, you know, sort of in the Z direction, it's it, it's sort of 
our body can compensate when it's moving laterally. It's much Z harder. Z means towards your back. Uh, Z or towards your. Or feet. I mean, I mean in the Y. When it's going up and down, our okay. our heart can compensate because we're just sort of pumping blood up and down. But when you're moving uh, in the Z direction or in the X direction with those G loads, our heart has a lot harder time compensating. So we don't know at this point, but I would bet that the the two astronauts on board actually passed out um, in wow. their descent. Uh, with that kind of G load, they should have. If they didn't, it's sort of it's a incredible um, that they that they didn't. Uh, within about thirty seconds, they, uh, uh, the G load was down to about two point seven. They landed safely. They reunited with their families. We have now three astronauts aboard the ISS that are essentially marooned. Well, um, no, no, they're not. Mar- they, they have not another. They're Soyuz? not marooned in the sense there is a Soyuz yeah. capsule docked aboard, so they can actually do a forcible. Uh, launch away from the ISS and land safely on Earth. They, they always leave in the almost always leave in the same capsule they come in. Yes, so it is possible they're not stuck up there, but they are not going to abandon the space station because then there'll be no one aboard. Right, right. And so the next launch window, I think, is December nineteenth or twentieth. It's inevitable that they're not going to hit that launch window because there is a rocket failure aboard. Yeah, and usually that means they delay things. I don't know, three to six months. There's an inquest, right? Yeah, and so right now, I'm sure this is happening. It's not public knowledge, at least when we're recording this. They're doing an inventory of how much oxygen, water, and food they have. Inevitably, they plan for what's called a skip mission, where it's something goes wrong, so they have enough time for uh, for the next one to come aboard. We're waiting to hear what went wrong. Um, Chris Hadfield did an awesome periscope this afternoon afterwards where he talked about what the planning looks like. I encourage people to watch it. Uh, Just go to his Twitter feed and you can watch it. And um, the jarring thing he said was, uh, you know, when something goes on in a rocket, it inevitably is something complicated. It's not something simple. Yeah. And so that's his worry. Millions of moving parts. Yeah, that's his worry because if it's something complicated, that means it's going to take a while for them to figure it out. I mean, on the other hand, this is the, the most reliable launch platform in the world, I think. Right? 100%, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's... And it's not like there's an immediate pressing like need for food or oxygen or water on the station. They always have a backlog of at least a few months, and there are both... Um, well, progress, progress launches are probably going to be on hold as a result of this inquest, but SpaceX and Orbital Systems... What, what, hold on, I can't remember the name of that company. Yeah, it's, yeah Orbital it's Systems Orbital, uh, or uh, the the Cygnus ones. Uh, there, there are at least two companies servicing, and plus Japan launches occasionally too, right? I guess they just did one, didn't they? It's, I mean, more than likely a Soyuz is going to have to go back up. Yeah, um, and so we we're in a waiting well, to get right? people there. Yeah, to yeah. get people there. Um, so I, it seems like everything's going to be fine, and everyone is safe. Um, but this is this is af- absolutely going to be like a tenuous time. It's it's the same as after the Columbia disaster when we had no shuttle flights to the space station for a year and a half. What was interesting and and just as a last thought on this, when it, when I watched Chris's periscope, um, people asked him like, "What do you think the mood of the astronauts on board was um, during this?" Because obviously, if I was on there, I'd just be screaming. Yeah, right. I think that, I think that <laughs> might be look. After watching First Man, I think during any launch, any of us would just be screaming. Yeah. Even if it was going great. And so, and he said he believes their reaction was frustrated. Like they they would be frustrated that they weren't going to space. Frustrated and then maybe unconscious. And maybe, well, yeah. (laughs) And angry. And not, but which is not the, 
emotion I would expect, but it is kind of that astronaut model of like they want to work the problem and but this problem is out of their control. Well the problem the problem with problems during launch and really descent is that you don't have time to work the problem. Yeah, exactly. So um I understand that. I'm glad everyone is safe and we're in a waiting game right now. How much oxygen is up on the ISS, and how much is can be recycled? Water can be recycled, but I don't know the answer to that. I mean, th that's one of the main things that they bring up when they when they bring w with the with the fuel stuff, right? And when they're when you're talking about like a progress ship, they have hydrogen and oxygen in the tanks. And well, it's, it's like, water. I guess they make oxygen by splitting splitting water, water with electricity. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know how much they have. What the capacity left is? They have three on board. Two are coming up in the in the Soyuz mission. Like Will said, there's ways to resupply the ISS more easily than it is to send replacements. I mean, really, the the bummer is they're going to have to be up there longer than was intended. Well, when when we when we went to Johnson and talked to the people who make the food for the station, this is one of the things we talked about. I don't think it made the video, but you know, a there's they went from having six people to having three people. So automatically the food is, is three, three fifths was going to go three fifths longer than it did. Is that right? I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's going to last longer than it did before all the consumables. Well, the, the big question is without the progress modules to do the orbit boosts. Like, I think that that might end up being the things. I don't know if they can do the orbit boosts with the SpaceX capsules or the orbital sciences capsules. I don't know the answer to that. So, either. yeah, I'm sure all of this is being worked out and, and things have like contingencies are always planned for here. So I'm sure the astronauts aboard the ISS are safe. It's just like one of those things where everyone is sort of on needles until we get answers well, on what went wrong. And and we're closing in. We're 18 years into manned habitation and constant manned habitation in space. I don't think anyone wants to, like that's a pretty good streak. We don't want to break that if we don't have to. And I'm sure I've heard behind the scenes from friends of mine that, you know, there's a lot of arguments right now on wh how long the U.S. is going to fund the ISS. Yeah, right now, it's not that long. Yeah, it's to 2025. Yeah. And uh, so uh, they're worried that this will accelerate the uh, defunding especially given the current administration we have time for a quick vr minute let's do it the vr minute virtual reality this week i'm going to knock through some quick hits uh first of all some psvr uh announcement it's the second anniversary of psvr Ooh. and they announced that borderlands vr borderlands 2 VR is coming out later this year. The best Borderlands. With, with Gearbox on that. Now, unfortunately, uh, not too many details. It will be single player only. So oh. no multiplayer, which takes I think, a lot of the fun out of the experience. Uh, but Borderlands is very popular. It's a lot of humor. It's a single player campaign. is very fun. And having just hand track controllers for all those wild weapons. Is it uh, an aim gun? Fun. Aim, aim uh, yes, move. Yeah, the, uh, the move controllers. But but not the... Oh, the aim. The, I, I actually don't know. Those are the details that we do not have um, currently. The PS aim gun um, has worked great for, uh, for Firewall Zero Hour. And, um, and Farpoint. And Farpoint, yeah, was the other one. I, I think also you can use it in Arizona Sunshine for PSVR as well. Uh, we'll do a, I would do a weekly reminder that if you have a PSVR device, you should check out Astrobot Rescue. It's, it's one of the best VR games made 
period. And uh, it's become so successful that PlayStation is going to uh, issue a demo. If you just want to try, I, might, I don't know, it'll be the first world out of five, but uh, the demo will be free. And of course, and that when that comes out, you should absolutely try that if you're not convinced already by our praise. Um, uh, next on the list, uh, Alchemy Labs. Now, Alchemy Labs, owned by Google, uh, they uh, uh, made Job Simulator, of course, and mm-hmm. a Vacation Simulator, but they announced last week an experiment from their R&D um, using, of course, makes sense, AR Core, because that's Android's AR. So what they're doing is uh, a phone. They can use the phone as a AR, as a track device around a person to film mixed reality, kind of. Oh, wow. Um, so they can clip the person out using the depth camera? I don't think they're doing that, but they can use the phone as a win- window, at least, into the VR world. They oh. can synchronize the person playing in VR and then using the phone for a spectator to walk around them and to see maybe an avatar, but to see their space, and which allows for not only spectator experiences, but also potentially some asynchronous uh, gaming experience. That's really cool. Uh, currently, the uh, that stuff is being rendered on a desktop and being streamed to the phone, but they think that they can, that's just their experiment. Uh, they can totally get that rendered is, locally in the future, depending on the Is that out so you can try it? It is not oh, out okay. so you can try it, unfortunately. Uh, but I think this is a path going forward. One of the problems with sharing VR is how do you, how do you let people enjoy that space while being in a pretty isolated experience? Uh, how do you have it locally social? And mirroring what you see onto the TV is one solution, but if other people can just download a companion app and start using their phone, and all these phones now have pretty decent AR pass-through uh, abilities and world tracking, inside-out world tracking abilities, um, you can let them appear into your VR spaces. So it, it's right in line with what Alchemy Labs was doing with their mixed reality stuff. Um, before they were bought by Google, and it makes sense that they would be continuing after have, they've been bought. Have you guys by tried Google. Creed? I have not played Creed from Servio, the boxing game. Creed's very good. Is it good? It's interesting. I, I will have. It's have worth checking out. out. Yeah, yeah. highly. I, I would recommend it. Uh, and then uh, Oculus uh, has now f- finally released their Dash 2.0 core out of beta. It's out of beta. The whole revamp. This is the their launcher essentially. It lets you. Uh, have a space to walk in and eventually let people hopefully join in that space, but you can kind of decorate it out right now. There are not a lot of new Halloween decorations, and um, and and now that is uh, a little more stable, and you should download it if you're on the Oculus platform. Um, Jeremy and I played uh, on the Oculus Go recently, Cloudlands uh, Mini Golf on the Go. It's four-player. If you guys have an Oculus Go, we can all jump in and, and play some mini golf and, and hmm. play some putt-putt. In, in three doff. Okay. I don't think you know this about me, but I placed ninth in a $10,000 mini golf tournament once. What, what, was, was, your the, what was the price for that? Zero dollars. Oh, and, and some shame. Wait, well, who, uh, fifth place is in the winnings? 10,000 people? $10,000. Oh, dollars. So, I think it was a, as a top three. Money. Ooh, that's, that's uh, a lot. That's a big purse. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Good winnings. Uh, and then going back to Leap Conference, LeapCon, uh, the big hardware announcements for LeapCon or product announcements for LeapCon, uh, at least notable ones, is that early next year they're hoping to have two controller support, which I think is a big deal because while they do have a 6 off controller having a second hand, they use magnetic tracking, which like the Razer Hydra mm-hmm. uh, or the STEM system, if they can get that working, two hands and 6 off. While not perfect hand presence is going to at least allow for a lot more interaction. Hands are important, it turns out. Well, they also do hand tracking, and the the Dr. Grogboards has hand tracking for like force fields. 
like you know you put your hand out there you can like hit, swat the enemies mm. and, and, and you know blow up the rockets but buttons two two hands with touch pads and buttons uh, I think allows for better it's better interaction that seems important it, the problem is that if that's not the standard then people won't develop for that as a standard and I, I think it needs to ship with that I think it's safe at this point to assume that whatever the final consumer version of that device is is the standard, not what the dev kits are. Yes, yes. And then, which is the, the funny thing about this conference because, you know, they rolled out 16 different experiences and companies working on things, including ILM with a Porg experience. Uh, is it Porg the, roasting? And it's not Porg roasting. I, I didn't actually get to try it. But these sound like consumer-facing things or people that they – things that you would want people out there to play, but they're not. It's for the, you know, however many thousands of developers yeah. right now who have these headsets. Um, so I don't know if they need to be polished, I mean, but I'm, I'm glad that they're putting the resources in from the figuring it out. From the early days of VR development, it's really good to have demo experiences that people who have the headsets can try. Um, it, I mean, that was the big difference between the Oculus launch and the Vive launch. On the Vive launch, uh, Valve handed out keys and you got tilt brush and uh, job the first level of job simulator and fantastic contraption so people had tangible gameplay experiences for the the user experience for that stuff versus the oculus launch where they handed a lot of headsets but there wasn't a lot of sample code or sample applications and and people, not until the second until yeah the touch controller exactly the they touch, both the, learned and the touch controllers were much the launch was much better the ux was much better for the users so like i, th I think it's good that even though this is a little bit weird for a dev kit, I think it's good that, that Magic Leap is doing it. Awesome. All right. And that does it for this week's episode. Will, thank you so much for joining. Of course. Uh, anything new in your world you want to share? I mean, we, we're still making cartoons with VR. That's pretty much it. I you, play play games on Twitch. You had an awesome visit to Taj Mahal. Check out the Twitter moment about it. The, you know, the jumping into the canyon adjacent to the Grand Canyon was my was my more favorite. I, I did that on my 50th birthday a few weeks ago. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, you can find Will at Will Smith. Anything coming on up on the site you want to plug? Uh, we have uh, Adam's incognito walk from New York Comic Con this year, and then his interviews that he did will be rolling out in the coming days. Uh, inter interview I did with uh, Richard Taylor and Greg Broadmore from Ooh. What Are Our Game Shop uh, at LeapCon will be up on the site, I think, tomorrow. A and uh, just general, general goodness. Cool. Jeremy will be back next week. Sorry for all of this. We have an outro from Oz Muso. Muso? Let's see how this goes. Hi there, I didn't see you. Passed it. Do you think it's okay to drive stone? Stone, I, stone, stone. Get a DUI. Stone, 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 stone. Do not get behind the wheel. Stone, pass it. I'm glad Nitsa didn't so, support it. this episode. Hi there, I didn't ah. see you. Pass it. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye, everybody.